I'm preaching on the uh, last part of Matthew chapter 5. So if you've been around, <clears throat> excuse me, in our church over the last few weeks, we've been going through uh, Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Lord Jesus, uh, your teaching is radical and life-giving. Please, through your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our ears uh, to understand what you're really saying in the end of Matthew chapter 5 and to follow you in a way that makes peace. We pray in your name. Amen. So today's sermon text is Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 28 to 38. Sorry, 38 to 48. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Turn the other cheek. I'm sure you are familiar with that saying. Who's heard someone say that to them? What is the context where someone will usually say to you, turn the other cheek? It's usually about when you've been hurt, right? And they're saying, oh, you should just, you know, get over it. Just be, be calm. Don't, don't retaliate. Uh, it'll be okay. Is that, is that kind of right? Turn the other cheek. Wow. For, for centuries, this saying of Jesus has been quoted in our English language. Also, go the extra mile. Who's heard that one? Yep. And what does that kind of mean in our common parlance. Do more than expected. All right. So turn the other cheek seems to be Jesus saying, when someone hurts you, just roll over quietly and become a doormat. Don't respond. Don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek. And for centuries, this verse has been used and misused to justify or to excuse um, abuse and violence, and to tell those who are abused that they should just kind of really be a Christian doormat, you know? Don't, don't respond, don't react, just let the person do what they need to do. Do not resist the one doing evil. Is this really what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus really counselling Christian cowardice? Is Jesus really saying, just let evil people get away with it? When we are confronted with evil, with hurt to ourselves, we often think that there's really only two options. The one is this option, which is kind of 
passive acquiescence, fright or flight. So this one is kind of like fright. Just be quiet, don't respond, don't, uh, don't do anything about it. So non-resistance, kind of rolling over, letting it happen to you. Or we can fight. There's violent resistance. We can actually strike back, uh, get back at the person who is hurting us. You know, be, uh, be an aggressor as well. But is Jesus really saying, when he says, turn the other cheek, be a Christian doormat? Or is there something else going on here that is actually quite radical uh, in Jesus' teaching? To understand this properly, we have to understand the cultural setting of what Jesus said and the people that he was speaking to at the time. The word resist here that is translated in our English Bibles as resist is actually the Greek word antistenai. And antistenai actually means to engage in warfare, to oppose with violence. So what Jesus is saying is do not engage in warfare with the, with the evil person. Don't become like them. There is a different way of responding. And Jesus' third way is somewhat different. And he unfolds it in this chapter of Matthew. So turn the other cheek. Jesus says when someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, I need a volunteer here to demonstrate for me what Jesus means. Edward, I won't hurt you, and hopefully you won't hurt me. All right. This is important. Edward, hit me gently. Right cheek. Okay, there's a problem. What hand has right in it to not do anything with the left hand? The left hand was only for unclean tasks. And in fact, in the uh, community at Qumran, um, one of the uh, kind of religious communities at Jesus' time, even to gesture using your left hand carried a penalty of 10 days penance. People didn't do anything with their left hand. So, Edward, backhander, whack. Edward, you can sit down now. In other words, Jesus is saying, when someone backhands you, turn the other cheek. Actually, I'm going to need you again, Edward, in a minute. The backhander is a way of entrenching institutional inequality. The backhander was used by masters towards slaves, by men towards women, by parents towards children, by soldiers towards occupied people. It's a way of humiliating someone. It's not just intended to cause injury, it's intended to cause insult. It's intended to say, you are a lesser human being than me. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Now, Edward, come back. Backhand me. Okay, thank you, Edward. You see, to strike with the open fist, with the, sorry, with the closed fist, which Edward could have done to hit my other cheek, was only done between equals. Only peers struck each other like that. That was a way of saying, you are my equal and I will now engage in a fight with you, Right? But it's actually impossible, physically almost impossible, to backhand the person on their left cheek. So what Jesus is saying to the people who are listening to him is, do not let your enemy dehumanize you. And when they try, you say, try again. 
you have failed. I am not less of a human being than you, and you can either make me your equal by hitting me with your fist, or you have failed to dehumanize me. I've got um, some uh, pages on the back of the sermon outline here from uh, a theologian called Walter Wink, who unfolded this for me. This was an absolute revelation for me when I first read what Walter Wink has written. And so Jesus' third way, I'm not going to go into all of these, but you can read it for yourself. Jesus' third way is neither violent resistance nor passive acquiescence to evil. It's actually what we would call creative, nonviolent resistance. Creative, nonviolent resistance. Do not let the other person dehumanize you come up with a creative way to say to them, you can't do that to me. You can't make me less of a human than, than what God has created me to be. So let's unfold a little bit more of the other ways that Jesus talks here of creative nonviolent resistance. When we think of this, it's quite astounding that this is actually the way that Jesus lived his life. When people attacked him, he didn't retaliate, and he didn't pay back evil for evil, but he found creative ways to subvert what the people were doing and to show up their violence and their evil for what it was. So, we've heard about turn the other cheek. What it doesn't mean is roll over and let them hit you. It means think of a creative way that they cannot dehumanize you, all right? The second one, that Jesus says is found in uh, verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Okay, this again doesn't necessarily translate very well into English and into our current cultural context. Most people that were listening to Jesus, the poor of the land, the disciples of Jesus, would have had exactly two garments, right? They would have had a tunic, which was the the close-fitting inner garment, and they would have had a cloak, which was the outer garment. So Jesus says, when the powerful people are taking you to court and you're the victim and they're going, okay, you don't have very much, but I'm going to take your, your tunic, thanks very much. He says, give them your cloak as well. Now, what situation does this leave the person without tunic or cloak? They are naked. But in that society, the shame of someone being naked doesn't fall on the naked person, but on the people who see them as naked. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to take my shirt, if I'm so poor and you want to take my shirt, then shame on you. Here is my cloak as well. Now I'm naked. What are you going to do about it? I have shown up your injustice for what it is and for how evil it really is. And there's a wonderful story that Walter Wink gives from South Africa during the time of the apartheid about how this works, this creative nonviolent resistance works in practice. So there was a group of um, black African women who were told that their, um, their shacks in the shanty town were going to be bulldozed. They, they were given a number of hours to get their possessions together and to get out of their houses before the bulldozers came in 
to destroy their homes. These women were very clever, and they knew that the white Afrikaners had a bit of a puritanical streak. So what happened when the bulldozers came was that the women completely stripped off, stripped naked, and stood in front of the bulldozers. And the Afrikaners, who were very pious Christians, fled from the naked women. And the homes were not bulldozed. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about when he says, give your cloak as well when someone sues you for your shirt. Can you see how this flips on its head the way that we've normally read these passages and what we've normally understood by them? Be creative, but don't let the evil win. Engage in creative, nonviolent resistance. Okay, for the next one, I'll, uh, I'll need another volunteer. Um, Adrian is about the most inoffensive person that I can think of, so I'm going to make him a Roman soldier. Okay. Um, Adrian, have you got a backpack that, or a bag that you can... So Roman soldiers um, were equipped with lots of gear. They had a massive backpack, like 15 to 20 kilos that they had to carry, as well as all of their armour and weapons. And they were allowed to force the occupied nation's peoples to carry their pack for them. So, Adrian, force me to carry your pack. Thank you. Right. So, how far are we going? Adrian is not allowed to force me to carry the pack more than one mile, and if I do, he can be punished by his commanding officer. See how that shifts the balance of power? Can you imagine the listeners to Jesus chuckling as they imagine a Roman legionary begging a Jewish man to give his pack back to him. Otherwise, he will be punished by his superior officers. Creative, nonviolent resistance. Go the extra mile doesn't mean just do a little bit extra. It means subvert the power of evil, shift the power balance, do not let them dehumanize you. Do you see that? Can you, can you see the difference that understanding this culturally to Jesus' reader, uh, hearers would make to the way that we understand these things? Now, I am not saying that any of this is easy, okay? You can rapidly imagine that people would make laws against stripping naked in court or that, centurion, uh, that Roman soldiers would rapidly find ways to punish people who wanted to walk the extra mile or that masters would find a way to still dehumanize their slaves without being able to backhand them on the left cheek okay none of this is easy but it's completely subversive and jesus expands that subversiveness in verse 33 43 sorry when he says you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven nelson mandela in south africa who had a lot of experience with creative non-violent resistance said Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Jesus is not counseling creative nonviolent resistance in order to 
get one over your enemy, to put them down and to dehumanize them, but rather to subvert the power and to show the person what they're doing to your humanity. Loving your enemies includes creatively trying to turn them from their evil. And when we think about it, this passage in Matthew, and particularly these words from verse 43 and 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, does that not fully encapsulate the life of Jesus? Creative nonviolent resistance against the powers of evil. Not acquiescing, but also not becoming like them by engaging in the same kind of evil and violence as well. In Romans 12, we read, Do not repay evil for evil, but conquer evil with good. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And that's what his whole life was about. In 1 Peter 2, we read, When Jesus suffered, he did not retaliate but suffered in accordance with God's will. What Jesus is talking about here is a cross-shaped life, a life that chooses the third way between passive acquiescence to evil and violent opposition, becoming like the evil one. And Jesus says, when you do this, You may be children of your Father in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And when we think of Jesus' final and most powerful creative nonviolent resistance, which was to go to the cross and to take into himself all evil so that he could overcome it in his own body, what did he pray for those who crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus prayed for his enemies. When we were God's enemies through sin, Romans says, Christ died for us. Yes, this is a difficult call of Jesus to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. But in doing so, we enter into the life of Jesus himself who came to give his life for the enemies of God so that we might become God's friends. Let me read Romans 5, verse 6 to 10 for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Love your enemies. That's what Jesus does with us. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus does for us. That you may be children of your Father in heaven who causes his Son to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. So when you are confronted with evil, don't roll over and play dead. 
don't repay evil for evil, but find a way of creative non-violent resistance that calls out the humanity of both yourself and the person who is hurting you. It's a hard road, but it's the one that Jesus has already walked for us. May we find the joy and the hope and the life of Jesus as we live this cross-shaped life. Amen.